Billy Collins, one of my favorite poets, describes a moment in time that may be familiar to many of us, particularly those who travel a lot. His poem is called Passengers, and the scene is set at the airport. At the gate, I sit in a row of blue seats with a possible company of my death. This sprawling miscellany of people carry on bags and paperback books that could be gathered in a flash into a band of pilgrims on the last open road. Not that I think if our plane crumbled into a mountain, we would all ascend together holding hands like a ring of skydivers into a sudden gasp of brightness, or that, that would be, there would be some common place for us to reunite, to jubilize the moment, some spaceless, pillarless Greece where we could, at the count of three, toss our ashes into the sunny air. It's just that the way that man has his briefcase so carefully arranged, the way that girl is cooling her tea and the flow of the comb that woman passes through her daughter's hair. And when you consider the altitude, the secret parts of the engine and all the hard water and the deep canyons below, well, I just think it would be good if one of us maybe stood up and said a few words, or so as not to involve the police, at least quietly wrote something down. And what would we write down? What sorts of things might we stand up and say? Sometimes there come these moments Moments when you're traveling on airplanes or at milestones in your life, birthdays, or at major turning points like when you're newly hired or newly fired, newly diagnosed, or newly healed. Sometimes, just out of the blue, there come these moments when you find yourself stopping everything, and taking an inventory. You're invited, no, you're compelled every once in a while to acknowledge squarely the absolute brevity of these days that we have been given, to hold as if in your palm the few core things that matter to hold the singular people, not many, their faces, their voices, and their memories, as if in your hands. The few strands of belief you rely on will be cradled. The few miracles we have, like compassion, that astound you without fail. Every once in a while, sometimes out of the blue, you're invited to receive the present, to notice the present, to take in that man on the plane with the briefcase, the girl with the tea, 
his fellow travelers and the quality of light and the sound of your own beating heart and to allow a certain tenderness to well up for all of these. There come sometimes these moments as a plane is taking off or a child is taking off after a whirlwind of summer vacation for college once again, and you hold them and release them and hold them and release them as you have practiced all their lives to do. Or when a loved one dies and the tectonic plates of your whole world are shifting, or a new one is born. Or sometimes, just out of the blue, these moments come when, with unusual clarity, we assess what we love, what we know for sure, what we live for. And for that little minute, that little moment, everything else falls away. What happens when everything you knew to be true turns out to be otherwise? Or some one thing you believed in with heart and mind and soul and strength begins little by little to fall away so that you can't hang your hope or your faith or your confidence on that thing anymore. And you need to find another thing, another truth to guide you. Or some reality that you thought really just goes without saying turns out simply to go away. And this can happen in all kinds of ways. What happens when some discouragement you've known, some loneliness or grief, some tiredness of spirit, some bitterness, a habit maybe of apathy, starts cracking apart in spite of you, imperceptibly at first? Then all in a rush, like ice on a lake, like frozen soil in the yard, gone mushy and soft. What happens when just when you thought you were settled, fully grown, all established, in your mind, your knowledge, in your body, in your wisdom, in your heart, your life comes pounding on the door, announcing that life as you've known now that it is forever changed. Is there anything at all that you can say is permanent in this life, fixed and certain and reliable? Anything you know for sure to be true? What solid ground do you believe you're planted on right now? Maybe you have always believed that getting that agenda out to your team on deadline is the most important thing in the world, and then one day, for whatever reason, you wake up and understand that you have been mistaken all along, that in fact, not only now, but even before, the most important thing was your connection to other people, or your connection to one person, or your connection to life. And when you take all of this in and live with it for a while, you travel for that moment then, just a little lighter, 
clinging only to essentials, unencumbered by the layers of 10,000 things that obscure clear seeing and clear breathing. Sometimes, but to tell you the truth, not often enough, there comes moments, come moments for thinking on these things. Every once in a while we realize that the plates are beneath us are shifting and our own sure knowledge, our own perspective and perceptions, our own hard-won beliefs and ways of seeing may be among the things that change. But it's not only disaster that awakens us. It's not only a terrible, early, heartbreaking death that shakes us awake. A poet once wrote about depression, about how the illness had subtly but surely descended and that now defines every aspect of her life. She said, no matter what the grief, its weight, we are obliged to carry it. We rise and gather momentum, the dull strength that pushes us through crowds. And then the young boy gives me directions so avidly. A woman holds the glass door open, waits patiently for my empty body to pass through. All day, it continues, each kindness reaching toward another, a stranger to no one as I pass on the path, trees offering their blossoms, a child who lifts his eyes and smiles. Somehow they always find me, she said, seem even to be waiting determined to keep me from myself, from the thing that calls to me as it must have once called to them, this temptation to step off the edge and fall weightless away from the world. It happens that we may resist. It happens right here in this community every day. All these tiny expressions of kindness, these almost invisible signs of beauty and love keep assailing your despair relentlessly. People you don't even know, strangers, they slice slashes in your covering that shield you've put up so that the sunlight comes through the seams and lets in once again color and light and signs of life. In spite of you, you notice one voice, and then two, and then more. Every Sunday, Amanda and I, I'm going to confess something here, take attendance. We don't really take attendance. But you're important. Every one of you is important. You're important to us. You are important to each other. You honor us sometimes with your stories. So when we look at you, we see those stories of joy and celebration and those terrible stories of despair. Every that poem reminds me of people I've known, and some of you are included, who maybe didn't choose to have your cup shattered, didn't choose to have the rug of reality pulled out from under you, didn't choose to have your world 
turned upside down and inside out by illness or by mental illness or by a brain tumor or by the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of a friendship, all of those things where the plates have shifted. But what we find out, the very laws of nature shift and bend. And apparently and amazingly, human beings shift with love and heal. Things fall apart, things open up, and the heart in response rises and falls. The only thing that doesn't change and never will, as far as I can see, is the requirement that we are gentle, that we be gentle with each other, and generous, compassionate, patient, and forgiving of ourselves over and over, forgiving each other and again as we and each other go along. Life can hit us hard, and it's hard for us to know how to respond. We are uncomfortable with people who are desperately grieving. We don't want to say the wrong things. But I have come to believe that our own discomfort too often gets in the way of our truly being with one another in our loss. It is, after all, not about us. It's about our shared humanity. What can we offer when the worst happens to us and it is hard to imagine anything worse? And so, what can we say? We can simply say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. And I love you. You can say, I'm here to listen, I'm here to hear what's in your heart, and I'm here also to leave you alone, if that's what you need. Many of us already know the power of such acts of love, or remember those acts which made a difference in our own lives. Hurting people need the love of others, whether it comes as a kind word, a touch on the shoulder, or a listening ear. Somehow, even when our life feels over, we mend. We mend the cup of our life. So I close with the words of Nick Cardell. For thoughtful, conscious life, all creation is precariously contained in a mended cup of meaning. It is the cup from which we drink our lives, the cup with which we drink to life. It is a cup which is broken and mended, broken and mended over and over again. Each time an era passes, a way of life is destroyed, or someone of significance to us dies. We cry out that our cup is broken, and so it is. Yet somehow together, 
we must find the way to mend it all over again. And now we are faced with that task of mending once more. <laughs>